when looking for the king of podcasts, you're at the wrong channel. Looking for good ideas for life, you are far from good hands. If you think the listener is always right, you are far from the right place. Hosted by a Northeasterner by birth, a rebel by choice. If you want a host that floats between love and madness, then play on and listen to Crazy Train Radio. What up? Excuse me while I whip this out. Oh, gnarly! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. I knew it, I'm surrounded by assholes. And good evening, friends! Not all football helmets are created equal. Zenith, the industry leader in protective technology, is the only helmet in the game with adaptive head protection featuring a shot suspension system that can move independently from the helmet shell. Headquartered and developed in Detroit, Zenith is committed to player safety and revolutionary innovation. Zenith is proud to protect athletes at every level from peewee to the pros. Learn more about the Zenith difference at zenith.com. That's X-E-N-I-T-H.com. Are you annoyingly even keel? E-methamine could be right for you. I have a disease, all right? I need help. E-methamine lets you get gagged up on whoop chicken parts without yellowing one's teeth. Oh, yeah. Contact your doctor today if you experience the following. Oh, my God. Increases in blood flow, boost in testosterone, ending of erectile dysfunction. This medicine is made for extreme cases of being even keel or having extreme depression. Ah, oh, come on! Side effects include fits of rage, acne, bleeding in folks around you, whooping cough, hallucinations, comas, trouble swallowing, decrease in semen, increasing amounts of selling yourself, amnesia, night terrors, higher mortgage rates, and increased sensations in not having suicidal urges. Oh my. Hi, I'm Bill Ripkin, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. did something interesting, which I thought, and we'll discuss it, very interesting. March 15, 2020, he released two books at the same time, and see, people are speeding by to uh, go to the bookstore where they can and order, if you heard that in the background. But the books (laughs) were, and this one I guess you would call a novelette, 
Novella, novelette, yes, either yes. one. Uh -huh. Okay, uh, that with that being called Over the Right Field Wall, and his full novel that came out the same day is Deadball, a novel of murder and passion. He is a three-time Reader's Favorite International Award winner, Mr. J.P. Hutchinson. How you doing, Sid? Hey, thanks so much for having me on. First wanted to say uh, congrats to you for the direction the podcast is heading. You've got uh, World Series pitchers and uh, vocal artists and quite an array of, of guests. Yes, thank you. And glad to see somebody actually followed up and did some research. But <laughs> you, you were like me on the other end there, you know, doing follow-up as we were discussing earlier in the week. Uh, yeah, that's uh, that's unfortunate sometimes. But, no, I mean, uh, appreciate people helping get the word out about uh, lots of interesting topics. And, of course, uh, baseball is one that I think a lot of us can enjoy together and uh, certainly entertainment, writing, and reading uh, during this time when we're stowed away. That's, that's good stuff, too. Yeah, and for folks who want to check out or order uh, and get links and check out his blog, Everything's centralized at jphutchinson.com. But uh, the two big interests that I found about you, which I guess is no secret for those familiar with your work, is both baseball, which are the books that we're going to be talking about today, but also westerns. Yeah, interesting yeah. combination to uh, be writing about. Well, uh, in a way, yes, perhaps. But the westerns I, uh, I really enjoyed writing were sliding toward um, – the latter end of the Old West period, really uh, bumping up into the 1890s. And my earlier uh, the novella um, it starts with baseball in 1891. In fact, there's a reference in uh, one of my Western novels to uh, this Wild West show performer and his friends going to a ball game in St. Louis back in 1890s. So, yeah, there's some overlap. It was certainly uh, already becoming – um, our national pastime by the latter part of the what we would consider the Wild West era. Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting that you say that, uh, being from that same time period. But baseball was, and for those who don't know their history, which I don't see why not, uh, baseball started out, I believe it was 1840s, 1850, somewhere in that range. But early on mm -hmm. in the game's history, which I found, and really interesting. The game uh, was more of a uh, – the audience, anyway, was more of a prim and proper fan base. Would you uh, agree with that? It um, it was a community type thing, and, and everybody wanted to be all family friendly. And, uh, for example, one, uh, one feature of the game that would be very different for us, nobody would dare raz the umpire. Players wouldn't do it, uh, you know. Today, that's almost part of the, the, you know, why you go to the ballpark is to give the umpire a hard time. But no, there was this uh, this uh, uh, feeling among spectators and players alike that there was a, it was a gentleman's sport. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and uh, as far as hazing uh, umpires and referees and all that fun stuff, I actually have a fun story about. Oh yeah. It raised or hazing a. Uh, Hockey referee uh -huh. a game years ago, and it's a funny story that an actress friend 
tells. See that? See they're rushing to get the books, as you can hear. They're taking truck, trying to get it by the truck <laughs> loader. No, but uh, there's just, but there's a funny the story. I took it. She's now an actress out of New York City, and she introduced me to her husband. First thing she told him was this hazing him a referee story, but that's here and there. We can't tell it on this episode. <laughs> but, you know, what a way to be introduced to somebody. When she said, yeah. you got to meet the, this guy here, almost got us thrown out of a hockey game. But <laughs> chocolate, hockey games, and referees. Not an interesting combination, but we'll leave that. that <laughs> <laughs> well, the imagination can run with that one. Oh, yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, what uh, what was the ambition to getting to writing both either westerns and or baseball? Well, the western thing, um, I had been wanting to uh, to write novels for quite some time then, and uh, I moved. Um, back in 2012 from one state to another, and uh, there was just a point in my life when I actually could dive into doing it. And I'd just recently been to uh, Japan. Um, my daughter taught over there for a couple of years, and I spent a couple of months over in Japan. And when I came back, I thought, you know, I'm just going to uh, sit down and try to uh, put together a story uh, based over there in Japan, which I did, and it was uh, is the book I wrote with training wheels on. Uh, <laughs> a lot of help in the process. But, uh, you know, some people asked me, uh, are you going to write a sequel to this crime novel set in Japan? And when I sat down to do it, I was so frustrated. I, I was just having a hard time trying to uh, put it in words that Americans could um, identify with and, and really get into the story. And I, I was very, very frustrated. So I thought, I can't just stop. I need to uh, find uh, a, a story that will actually work and that people will uh, identify with and, and really enjoy. So I tried a dystopian thing that was back in the day when the um, when the whole uh, uh, diversion. Uh, I'm sorry, it wasn't uh, diversion. Uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the series, but we we had uh, the Hunger Games and all that sort of stuff going on. Anyway, tried uh, dystopian novel didn't work. Uh, tried. Um, uh, just a uh, hard-boiled crime novel, didn't work. And I suddenly I just started playing with a Western, and it just flowed. It was just, you know, I was goofing off in writing, and the story just, just flowed. And uh, uh, that was my first really successful novel, was uh, Strong Convictions, a Western. But after writing um, about, uh, I want to say, about 10 uh, published Western works there, I was getting a little burned out on uh, the Old West theme, and um, my brother came along and tossed an idea to me, and I just said, you know, this this could work, and it would be a great deal of fun. So I hopped on it and ran with it uh, for that first baseball story. Well, obviously the two books that we're talking about are Over the Right Field Wall and Dead Ball. Uh, now, mm-hmm. now, obviously, you were mm-hmm. based both stories in the late 1800s, early 1900s, that era. Yeah. Even though they're both novel style, how much of an issue was it, or how important to it, to you, I should say, was it to be historically 
factual as far as the error of the game and just that that line of thought there. That's a great question. Uh, um, I've known enough real baseball fans in my life to say there are people that are just sticklers for getting the facts right. So I knew I couldn't just go too wild on the thing. But um, I understand you're somewhat of a history buff, and um, I I would say, uh, you know, while there's an awful lot I can learn about history, I would still say I enjoy learning about history and uh, just immersing myself in the era uh, to create the mood of the era is very important to me when I'm writing. So, yeah, if I go along and I'm writing and um, somebody in the story needs to communicate with somebody else, I need to know, you know, uh, where do they go to send a telegram or how how many telephone, uh, how many families in the United States at that time had telephones in their homes or that sort of thing. So, yeah, constantly checking historical references. What were people driving at the time? Um, how many Americans uh, per hundred owned automobiles and what kinds of automobiles? And so, yeah, I, I get into trying to make it uh, historically accurate, and uh, that's the fun part of, of writing the story. And, you know, it's kind of what I was telling you the other night when we were exchanging messages, that you mm-hmm. start reading one thing as far as when you're doing your research and all. You start reading yep. one thing, and then it's like, oh, well, what about this, this, and this? So you start looking yep. at those things, and, you know, it, it leads to a uh, cycle almost. <laughs> yeah, running down rabbit holes for sure. Yeah. Uh, my wife will ask me holes. sometimes, yeah, yeah, my wife will ask me sometimes, you know, well, how was your writing day today? And I set, um, I, I do set word count uh, goals for myself each day as I write. And I'll come back and say, you know, I fell a thousand words short of my goal today. I was just uh, researching something and, you know, it pulled me here, there. And, uh, but, it, you know, it, it broadens your perspective as you do that. And it's, um, it, it brings color, I think, to the story too. Absolutely. Especially dead ball with it being a almost a la, I would say clue-like with the murder mystery mm-hmm. uh, because of that being, as far as a historical standpoint, being at the height, I would say, in 1912 of what's known now as the dead ball error. Until, yep. And for those who don't know, the dead ball error was started around 1900-ish and ran to about 1919 when some guy named Babe Ruth. I don't know if anybody's heard of him. <laughs> yeah, set a record. I believe it was 1919 where he had the 29 home runs. It was incredible yep. back in that day. So, you know. And that that came at a good time for baseball, too, because, of course, you had the Black Sox scandal in 1919, which led to the investigation in 1920, and, and baseball really could have been on the ropes at that time had it not been for the Babe and some others, and all of a sudden uh, a huge change in the game. Exactly, because after the scandal in 1920 or 1919, which the investigation in 1920, the grand jury and the, the first commissioner was put in office, mm-hmm. all that, you know, like I said, rabbit hole here. <laughs> yep. So, yep. You, know, you know, there was another interesting thing that happened uh, uh, in 1920 that uh, – played a huge role in uh, the storyline that I came up with for Dead Ball. And that was the sad event when Carl Mays uh, threw a pitch that hit a very popular player, Ray Chapman, 
um, New York Yankees versus uh, Cleveland Indians, and um, the uh, the result was Chapman became the only person in the history of Major League Baseball to die from um, something that happened in the game, and um, so that uh, that pitch, which most uh, sources would say. Uh, Ray Chapman, the batter, never never saw coming. Uh, uh, Carl May pitched it. He was a submarine-style pitcher or sidearm at best, and evidently Chapman just never picked it up and caught him in the head, and um, he passed out twice on the way to first base and then never uh, recovered from that. He did surgery that night, and he died the next morning. Well, the, that one reason that happened uh, was that the balls in, in uh, that time uh, the major leagues were using one ball per game, mostly. I mean, uh, today's baseball, they go through dozens of balls per game, but uh, the ball would end up by late innings uh, so brown that uh, it was hard to pick up uh, when it's coming at you at 85, 95 miles an hour. So um, that brought about a big change as well in, in the way that uh, the game was handled. Yes, and I'll throw a... Something out there for the listeners, too, to check out. Because you mentioned about only using one ball back in those times, where not only did you use one ball, usually, and you could check this out through the Hall of Fame and all, they have displays and everything on on that sort sort of it. The winners would actually keep the ball, put the basic information of the game, who played, score, that kind of thing, and paint Mm -hmm. them gold. So which yep. is an interesting little thing. Yeah, particularly for big games, that was uh, that was certainly something, uh, a practice that was carried out if, if the ball is in any kind of shape <laughs> at the end of the game. But, uh, but, yeah, you're right, that was that was a common practice. Yeah, so, you know, how did you say that, too, about the older balls and old, you know, some were actually bigger looking like softballs, which I, I'll put on the video version of this. But I'll also send you a picture of the ball I have from the early days, too, in my uh, personal mm-hmm. sports collection. I'll take awesome. a picture of it and send it to you. I think you'll get a kick out of it. So. Sure. So, but anyway, we don't want to spoil the books too much. Thank you so much for taking time out. I know things are hectic right now, but, well, before I let you go, any upcoming projects that you are working on? And I know these books are out, only been out a month or so. Yeah, I'm I'm going full steam ahead on uh, my third in the baseball series. That first one, as you had mentioned, uh, takes place in the 1890s, the second one in the 1910s, and I'm working on a uh, 1927 baseball novel right now and uh, making good progress on that. So uh, uh, working title is fouled off. Um, I'm not sure that I'll release it, that title ultimately, but uh, – if people are interested, if they go to gphutchinson.com, they can catch some updates on that as I as I work on it. They can see about release dates if they're interested after checking out the first two uh, baseball books there. And, yes, you can get those books we mentioned here in paperback or on Kindle, which is interesting. Uh, check them out through Amazon, and you can get the links to those through uh, JP's website. But uh, is there a working timetable for that new book to come out? My hope would be that it would be out uh, in July. Great. That's, uh, that's I think, it's a reasonable uh, guesstimate for about when that will uh, be coming out, Jonathan. 
Hey, if he can do two stories at one time and be released uh, in March, I think July is pretty reasonable about getting a story out. <laughs> Thank you so much for the time and the opportunity. Have a good one. Thinking your day is bad and really looking to make it worse? Why not try downloading this new classic set of music that will be dropping so far off the charts there's bound to be injuries. Now that's what I call depressing. It's gonna make those who are even close to having the slightest glimmer of hope wanna jump off the highest of planks. For those that are getting Now That's What I Call Depressing, you'll be getting that song that reminds you of that relationship with those cougars, Wrinkled Ladies. For those who weren't really into cougars, but those who had that special friend while in Cell Block 2B, we got for you this clusterfuck that will put you in therapy for years to come. With cheeks wide open. <laughs> Who the fuck writes this shit? Oh hell, we're still recording this commercial. Always with you, it cannot be done. Those that rather have it out than in. This loaded hit will be dropping soon. Farthing in the USA. For those who place their order by calling or ordering online, the next hundred folks will receive their choice of either a noose of good quality that won't snap, an installation of a new outlet next to your bathtub so you can now blow dry your hair in a full tub. Or the choice of the right gang to just beat the fuck out of you. Call us today at 1-800-FUCK-THIS. Hey, this is Brett Boone, former Major League All-Star, and you're listening to Crazy Train Radio. <laughs> 